Good morning, friends. I am always impressed with Cody's memory every time I come. How he remembers all that is beyond me. And thanks for um, uh, helping with that introduction. Probably the best thing I do in life, though, is to be uh, the husband of Mary and the father of my four children. I don't know that I've ever seen a picture of myself that big. That was a little scary. Most people who do see our family picture say either one of two things. Wow, you really married up? Or it's a good thing that your children favor your wife. (laughs) So thankful for them. They couldn't be with me this morning. We have church a little bit later this afternoon. I understand you guys are in a series called uh, Be Amazed by Jesus Christ and that you're in the book of Mark. And uh, very thankful and commend you for that study. We just finished a series at our church on the life, actions, interactions of Jesus with people through the book, through the Gospel of John. And one of the things I've been encouraging our church is that it's really good for us to study Jesus. It really is. And so I commend you on that and commend to you these things. It's really good for us to focus on Jesus Christ because he's worthy of it. Because he's worthy of our attention. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our love, our awe, our allegiance. It's good for us to focus on Jesus because he's worth it. It's also good for us to focus on Jesus because Jesus takes us to the Father. Why did Jesus die for us? Why is that? Does Doug do it? Do do your people respond ever? Do you guys have a my part, your part? Why did Jesus die for us? He did die to save us from our sin, but he didn't die to save us from our sin, period. Guys, he died to save us from our sin so that we could have relational connection with the Father. True? He, he wants to take us to his father. Hebrews says he's the exact representation of his father. It wasn't he died so he could save us from our sin, period. He died to save us from our sin so he could take us someplace. And it's good for us to focus on Jesus because he longs to take us to the father. And in focusing on Jesus, we find ourselves in the presence of, in relationship with our heavenly father, the point of the universe, right? And it's good for us to focus on Jesus because he rescued us. He is presently rescuing us and he will one day ultimately rescue us from ourselves. One of my favorite things when I think about heaven is this one reality. I will be able to put together five thoughts without thinking about myself. I'm sitting there worshiping and thinking about what you're going to think of me when I get up here. I can't wait to be free of that burden where I can completely worship Jesus and his father and not think a thing about myself. He will, he's rescuing me. I think less about myself than I used to. (laughs) Thank God. And one day he will finally remove Rob from Rob and I'll be free to give him all that I am. It's good for us to focus on Jesus Christ because he's rescuing us and he will one day rescue us from ourselves. True? Well, I want to be in the book of John with you in chapter 15. I know that two weeks ago Doug taught you on 
uh, Mark chapter 4, and his title was The Proof is in the Fruit. And Doug and I talked about this, and um, my hope is that I want to be complementary to that message and not competitive. So if for some reason you walk away and think I'm contradicting Doug, either I've miscommunicated or you misheard me, because my hope is to piggyback on what your pastor has brought to you. By the way, you ought to know we live in a very rural area, and you guys are extremely blessed. Hope you know that. And absorb that. And take in the teaching and work it hard as application as your pastors are working at study. I would encourage you to do that. The worship this morning has been phenomenal in getting me prepared and focused on what we need to be focused on. That's a blessing to you. So we're going to be in the book of John. My hope is I want to back way out of this passage, kind of like you see those pictures of the earth, and then you kind of zoom down in, and then you plop down right where whoever it is wants you to be. And that's my hope. So I want to talk a little bit about John, the book of John, big picture. And then we're going to dial in and get some context and jump into John chapter 14, because it's really going to help us to understand John chapter 15. So we're going to do a wide-angle lens, and then we're going to zoom in. A couple things you should know about the book of John. One, the stated purpose, the main theme in the book of John is this key word, believe. And it's found in John chapter 20, verse 31. It says this, And these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you may have life in His name. This is the theme of the book, believe. It's also going to be core to application of the passage that we're going to be in this morning. So it fits. Believe. A couple other things that would be helpful to know about John. There's two sets of seven in the book of John. There's seven signs, seven miraculous signs. Water and the wine was the first one. The raising of Lazarus is the last one. There's two, set, two sets of sevens, seven signs and seven I am statements. Okay? The, last, the last sign, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, is also combined with the sixth I am statement, which is I am the resurrection. Okay, so you have two sets of seven. The passage we're going to be in, John chapter 15, is the last I am statement. I am the vine. And so it's the culmination of his last statement about himself. So we ought to know that this statement that Jesus makes about himself, just like the culmination of Lazarus being raised from the dead, I am the resurrection, This statement, I am the vine, is extremely important. It's the seventh of seven. By the way, after um, John chapter 11 with the raising of Lazarus, the whole book changes. So one commentary says that the book is called, up to chapter 11, John is called the book of signs. And then after the tone changes, and the commentary says this, It's as if Jesus says, if you have not believed by now, after the raising of Lazarus from the dead, you have 
you have failed to read the signs appropriately and I have nothing more to say to you. And then he turns his face towards the cross and starts heading on his mission, unstoppable. Now I'm going to the cross. So the book changes. And that to be said, he starts heading towards the cross. God has a plan. His plan won't be thwarted. He's sovereign and his plan will happen. And Jesus is saying, yes, Father, I always do what you want me to do. I'm heading towards that plan. I am going that direction. And so he starts preparing his disciples. He starts telling them, I'm leaving you. Right? And they don't get this at all. And John chapter 15 is the culmination of the farewell discourse. He is preparing his disciples for departure, and he is preparing them for the arrival of the Holy Spirit, Emmanuel, God with you. This is new life as if for them. I am leaving you, but I want you to live as if I'm always with you, because I am. This is different for them. So back up a little bit. Take a look at John chapter 14. It's the book, the chapter starts off like this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So we see the theme of the book captured already twice in this first first verses of chapter 14. Believe. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe. Believe also in me. Well, what would their hearts be troubled about? Well, their paradigm is shifting. They thought the kingdom was coming and Jesus was going to establish it. And now you're leaving. And he says, what? He says, believe. Well, like a lot of instances where God or Jesus interacts with people, you have this pattern that starts to uh, be revealed here. He says, I have told you that I'm go- uh, in my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. What does Thomas say? No, we don't. Right? Confusion. And then later Philip says, uh... Just show us the Father, then we'll believe. And he says, Philip, Philip, I've been with you so long and still you haven't, you don't see the Father? So there's a lot of confusion. So here's the pattern we see all throughout Scripture. God is going to work his sovereign plan. It is going to happen. His disciples or his followers are really confused. And they get befuddled. Wait, well, wait a minute. I thought it was going this way. I thought we were getting out of Egypt. I thought we were doing this. I, I, what, what's happening? What's happening? And then what does he do? Does he repeat the plan? Does he, does he assure them that the plan is going to happen? No. He promises his presence in the middle of their confusion. So here's the pattern. I am going to do what I say. Well, what the heck does that mean? What are you doing? What's going on? Hey, 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 easy. I am with you. Isn't it interesting? We always want to, you know, when somebody's really struggling in our church or our small groups, right? I'm really struggling with this. And what do we do? Well, here's the plan. Let me tell you what the verses are. Let me show you how to follow that. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. 
I am with you. And friends, sometimes the most important thing we do is close our mouth and just promise our commitment and our presence. And we'll find ourselves being more like Jesus than rehearsing the plan that most people already know. So here's the theme. In Genesis 15.1, God reveals his plan to Abraham. There's confusion and lack of clarity. And he tells Abraham, do not fear, I am with you. In Deuteronomy 31, he tells Moses' plan. There's confusion. There's lack of clarity. And he says, Moses, don't fear, I am with you. In Joshua chapter 8, he tells Joshua's plan. There's confusion and lack of clarity. And he says, hey, don't be afraid. I am with you, Joshua. In Isaiah chapter 40, he says to his children, here's the plan. In Jeremiah 30, he says, here's the plan. Don't fear, I am with you. In John chapter 14, he says, here's the plan. I know you're confused and befuddled. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. And that sets up the context for our study in John chapter 15, verse 1. How am I doing? Doing all right? We following? John chapter 15, verse 1, you ought to know this. When he says, I am the vine, this is a continuation of this promise to be with his disciples, to be with us, his children. It's a follow-through. Sometimes the chapter breaks throw us a little bit, guys, but you've got to remember that this is part of a conversation that he's already started. And now Jesus builds upon what it means to live in the reality of the fact that now he is always with them in the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So he's saying, hey... I'm going to go away, but it's better that I go away. Why? Because I'm going to be with you now forever in this invisible presence, but this tangible reality. And here's what that's going to look like. So there's some repeated themes in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. The concepts of abiding and remaining are mentioned 11 times. Love and friendship are mentioned 11 times. The vine and branch relationship is mentioned 10 times. So if you combine all those, that's 32 times. The concepts of fruit bearing is mentioned eight times and obedience is mentioned five times. By the way, two of those are commands to love. So just by repetition, we begin to see the importance the focus that Jesus wants us to keep on this passage. And I'm going to commend to you that this passage is not about obedience and it's not about fruit bearing. It isn't. It's a byproduct of what this passage is about. But it's not the point of the passage. And we know that because in verse 11, Jesus summarizes the section and he tells us what this is about lest we miss the point. And he says this, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, I'm going to suggest that for some of you, like me, that's a paradigm shift. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait wait a minute. That sounds awful self-helpish, right? See, I've always heard 
regularly heard this passage taught as obedience. And it's true it's in there. And I hope to talk biblically appropriate about that. But Jesus makes the point and he says, No, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. And I would argue, and we're going to unpack this a little bit, that Jesus knows this. If we have his joy that he shares in fellowship with the Father, we will always obey. Do you see that? So let's get into the passage a little bit. He starts off by saying, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. So Jesus is going to say, hey, this is life as if. Life as if I am always with you. I want you to live as if that that is true. I want to live as if this reality that I'm always with you, that I'm always near you, that I am with you in the person, inside you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And again, guys, you've got to remember that he's talking to a group of people who would have had no concept about what what are you talking about. Which I think is also true for us. Really, this reality of God living in us, living with us. Do we really understand that? Do we really live as if that's true? And so he breaks it down for him as he often does, and he gives them a word picture to be able to meditate on and to think about in order to drive this truth truth home. I am the vine, you are the branches. I love Jesus' simplicity. It's almost like, I vine, you branch, right? Let's, let's bring this down to simple form. You apart, no fruit, with fruit, right? I mean, he's, just, he's trying to really anchor this reality for them. Look, if you're apart from me, guys, if you're not living in me, making your home with me, no fruit, none. So branches that bear fruit, he prunes them that they may bear more fruit and even much fruit. And branches that don't bear fruit, he takes away and they are burned. 
when he says this in verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. What's he mean? Well, if you flip back over to John chapter 13, verse 10, he says this, Jesus said this to them, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Some uh, Greek scholars will tell you that the word he uses for cut off in this passage, I'm sorry, for pruning in this passage, pruning and cleaning, are you can kind of interchange those. So some people would argue that he's saying clean, not prune. And other people know he says prune. Well, it's both. Okay. Well, when he says this, you're already clean because of what I have spoken to you. He's clarifying for them that this passage is about sanctification, not salvation. And he refers to the instance where he was talking to Peter and saying, Peter, you're already clean, but not all of you. Who's he referencing? Judas. See? He references Peter as an example of a branch who was cleaned up and pruned. And he offers Judas as an example of a branch that was cut off and removed. Peter is the poster child for cleaned up. Judas is the poster child for cut off. And so what he's saying to them is this. You don't have to worry about getting in. See, he's clarifying for them. What I'm talking to you about, this obedience thing, is not about getting in. You're already in. Live as if. See, friends, if we make this passage about obedience or fruit bearing, we've blown it. We've missed Jesus' point, And he's doing a lot of work to make sure that we know that it's not about this point. Because you're already in. You do nothing to earn the graces of God before salvation or after salvation. If your love has anything to do with earning, with obtaining, or maintaining the love of God, you've missed the point of the love of God. If you think your love obtains, your your obedience obtains or maintains the love of God, you don't understand the love of God. You're already in. Now here's how to live as if. Abide in me. Well, what is that? What the heck does that mean? Can I use heck? Does Doug do that? Okay. <laughs> so guys, here, let, let, me get, let me throw this thought out to you. I've done this with a lot of people because I was curious. What is abiding? What does it mean to abide? Okay, some of you might be, we're in trouble because without it, we can do nothing, right? What does it mean to abide? Okay, Okay. very good. Replicate, to live in, to rest. Let me ask you this question. How did you abide yesterday? What did abiding look like with your skin on it yesterday? How did you do it? See, I would argue that a good portion of us have no clue what it looks like for us to abide, apart from reading my Bible, prayer, meditate. Hey, guys, those are all things that we do. It's not abiding. 
Couldn't they be part of abiding? Absolutely. You guys are going to tell Doug, this guy told us not to obey, not to read our Bibles. Where did you get them? This is not what I'm saying. Those things can be part of abiding. What does it look like to abide, to rest, to live in Jesus for you today? When you put your head on your pillow tonight, what would it look like for you to go, I abided in you today, Jesus? Friends, this is an important question. Because apart from the reality of living out of that passage, we can do what? I like this guy down here. He talks. (laughs) It's a good question. Because here's the reality. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself... Unless it abides, abides in the vine. See, here's the point. Fruit bearing, to really bear fruit, is only possible. It's only possible when we're connected to Jesus. You can do nothing. You can produce nothing of eternal value. You have an inability to produce spiritual fruit. Because, guys, here's what we got to be careful of. We can obey and not bear fruit. I have a very dear friend to me uh, who in the last three years has come to Christ. He was obeying better than most of the believers that I know. But he didn't know Jesus. Matter of fact, that kept him from knowing Jesus. We can obey and not produce fruit, but you cannot abide and not produce fruit. So, So hear me on this, friends. I'm not saying... That fruit is not important. It is important. But it's only valuable if it grows out of our connection with Jesus Christ and we understand where that comes from. Then he says this in verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears Much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So fruit bearing is only possible through remaining in the vine. But listen to this. Fruit bearing is also inevitable as we abide and remain in the vine. See, as we stay connected to Jesus, we will bear much fruit. Branches that bear fruit, he prunes them so that they bear more fruit and then, yea, even much fruit. See? And that happens as we abide and stay connected with Jesus. Now, some people have made this passage about, and I only mention this because, at least in the conversations that I've had, it becomes a very uh, uh, kind of a distracting conversation about eternal security. And so people, well, well, was he in the vine or wasn't he in the vine? Was he saved or is he not saved? Did he lose his salvation? Was he never saved in the first place? Guys, I would argue that I don't know. This is me personally. This is thus thinketh Rob, not thus saith the Lord, okay? So you can talk with your pastors about this and and do whatever they say. But I'm going to tell you, I I think that's an argument that we've spent way too much time on. Because at the end of the day, you know what matters? Those who persevere. 
And so whether you were saved in the first place or whether you weren't saved or whether you thought you were and you weren't, are you persevering in Jesus? That's the point. I've seen great people who seem to know the Lord and then at the end of their life, what the heck happened? The point is, are we persevering? And really the point of this passage is, The question is, lose your salvation, had it, never thought you did, thought you did but didn't have it. Regardless of that, the question that Jesus poses to us, and let us not miss the point, are you abiding in me right now? Do you make your life in me right now? Are you? Do you have my joy in you that I share with the Father? Because that will safeguard you from shipwrecking your faith. See? If you're a Christian, but you're not living like it, you're not producing fruit, the point is not to get you to produce fruit. If you're here and you're not a believer yet, you haven't come to know the Lord in a personal way and you're kind of, you know, you're kind of figuring this out. Look, the goal is not to get you to obey. It's not to get you to produce fruit. The goal is to get you in a friendship with the Father. The point is abiding, living in, making our home in, resting, recognizing and living out of the presence of Jesus, our brother, our high priest, our king, and I call you friends, our friend. In such a way, life as if Fruit is inevitable. It's an overflow. It's a byproduct. David Curtis says this, You can fill your days with tremendous activity and busyness, but without dependence upon Him, you will not become like Christ. You have achieved nothing in God's sight. Here is the wonderful balance of the Christian life. Without dependence, discipline is barren. Discipline is necessary but so is dependence. You need to expect God to work. There must be a sense of his presence with you, a consciousness that he is willing to work through you and the patience to let him work in his way. Well, there's some characteristics of abiding as we start to kind of uh, bring this home, which doesn't mean I'm almost done. So what you saying? So what happens when we obey? If we're remaining, Jesus says there's going to be four things that are going to happen. You're going to have a conversational prayer life with the Lord. You are going to bear fruit. You're going to reflect the Father, and you're going to have joy. Those things are going to be true of you as you remain in me. In verse 7, he says, Jesus, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. Now we could go a whole passage on what that, we, we could do a whole sermon on what that means right there, right? Okay. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? But for the sake of time, let me just say this. What he's saying is that we, we pray in accordance with what, for what Jesus would pray for, in accordance with his values. What Jesus likes, what Jesus loves, what he's passionate about, we'd pray for those things. See, as we're connected with Jesus, you guys know this. We all have friends. We start to adopt their passions. 
their values, their likes, their dislikes. As we, as we grow connected with Christ, that happens with us. We begin to absorb kingdom values and we would pray accordingly. That's what he's talking about. But here's what the point I want to make this morning. That as a result of abiding, he talks about prayer. That if we know God is always present, you will always talk with him. Do you see that? This is what Paul meant in, in 2 Thessalonians when he was talking about prayer without ceasing. If we live as if Jesus is always with me, the Father in his presence through the power of the Holy Spirit, even though I don't understand it, I believe in faith that that's true. Father, you're right here with me right now. I would, I'll always have conversations with him. This conscious reflection of his ongoing presence in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 and, and also in John 6, Jesus would, that's why he says don't pray repetitious, meaningless prayers because they don't reflect the reality that God is a friend, a, a presence, a relationship that you have. When you start praying rote, memorized prayers, you're, it's like he's a genie or, or some kind of magical idol that you pray to and he gives you what you want. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not the point. So if we're abiding and we're resting in Christ, we'll have this regular, ongoing, conversational prayer. Lord, I don't understand that. I don't know why my son did that. I need wisdom. I need help to know how to discipline him. Change my way in the, in the perspective that I have right now. Lord, am I hearing from you or is this just my flesh? Do I need to... Right? Constantly talking with him. In verse 8 he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So guys, fruit is important. But remember, it's the consequence or the byproduct of abiding. It's the natural overflow as, of living as if. If God is really always with us, that I am now in Christ in both my position and my person, doing what he asks me to do is an overflow of love. So just to be clear, if we think that in Christ has nothing to do with obedience, we've missed the point. But if we think that in Christ has only to do with obedience, we've also missed the point. I think oftentimes when we hear this passage, this verse right here, if you love me, you will obey me, in tone we hear it this way. If you love me, you'll obey me. I did this for years, by the way. Oh, I got to show Jesus I love him. I got to prove to him that I love him by obeying him. No, that is not the... That's not what Jesus is teaching. If you love me, you'll obey me. Prove it. That's not the tone of this passage. The tone of this passage is, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. And I know this to be true because in John chapter 14, he flips, he flips it in verse 24. And he says, whoever does not love me, he puts the love first. Whoever does not love me won't obey me. And so Jesus' point is, if you want to obey me, fall in love with me. And you'll obey me. Guys, we know, we've experienced this to be true in our own marriages. True? 
in our friendships. And yet somehow we've, we've managed to listen to culture and make it about obedience. We have made obedience the test of our relationship. Now hear this, please. If you hear this one thing. Obedience is a good diagnostic. If you're not obeying, it's a good diagnostic. You ought to look at that. But this is crucial. But Jesus does not offer obedience as the prescription. It's a good diagnosis. If you don't have fruit in your life and you're not, but what, what is the fruit? Well, in, in verse 12, he's going to tell us it's love. It's loving the Lord, your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. If you don't have fruit in your life, it's a good diagnostic, but it's a lousy prescription. And some of you have been there. You've prescribed yourself to obey, obey, obey. And he is a wicked taskmaster. So in other words, if we're struggling to obey, to bear fruit, the answer is not to obey more, but rather to reflect and consider, I have access to the Father of the universe because of Jesus. Why don't I have joy in that? Peter says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control with steadfastness. I'm in 2 Peter chapter 1. And godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's Peter talking about? He's talking about producing fruit. He says, Forever lacks these qualities, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You see that? Peter and Jesus are saying the same things. If we're not obeying, the antidote is not obey more. The antidote is Have you forgotten who you are? And do you know who to go to? Because you don't want to go to you. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. One commentary says this, relational connection with the Father is the point of the universe and the source of supreme joy. An expanded translation of that verse says this, remain in the sphere of love which is mine. If my commandments you keep, you will remain in the sphere of my love. Well, then the the natural question, overflow of this passage is, how do I do that? As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. The overflow, the natural overflow of that is, well, how do I do that? What are your commandments? 
love. And he tells us that in verse 12. And this is my commandment, that you love one another. See, friends, as we, as we live in the vine and obey, bear fruit, we reflect the Father. The Father is love. And these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the point. Our joy is completely bound up in our connection with Jesus and the Father, and the byproduct of this joyous union, this cleansing of our sins, like, like the relationship the Son has with the Father, is fruit. He always does what pleases the Father. Another commentary says, Love unites the disciples to Christ as branches are united to a vine. Two results stem from this relationship, obedience and joy. Obedience marks the cause of their fruitfulness. Joy is the result. Joy logically follows then when the disciples realize that the life of Christ in them is bringing fruit, something they could never produce in their own strength. By the way, this is not a New Testament concept. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, the Lord says this to Israel. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Did you hear that? It wasn't just because you didn't obey the Lord. It was because you didn't obey with joyfulness and gladness of heart, you will serve your enemies. God doesn't just want our obedience, friends. He wants an obedience as an overflow of our relationship with him. We want the same thing with our kids, true? I mean, there's some days when I'm like, I don't care how you feel about me. Just do what I ask you to do, right? So guys, here's a conclusion. Jesus wants to tell us what it's like to live in the reality of his ongoing presence. We have relational access to the to to our Heavenly Father through Jesus and the Holy Spirit helping us to take us to Him all the time. He wants us to know that. Friends, I would encourage you to meditate upon that reality and really consider that and ask yourself the question, what does that reality look like with my skin on it? And in order to do that, remember the analogy that Jesus gives us for reflection, a branch and a vine. And what does it mean for me to stay connected He gave us that word picture for us to meditate on so that we might consider how do I live as if he's with me all the time? How do I do that? I would encourage you to spend some time on that because not only will fruit be possible, but it's also inevitable. He also does want us to bear fruit. It brings his father glory. And what is fruit? Loving acts towards others. Who are you loving in your life? Or who are you not loving? And how would my abiding in Christ change that? Or add to that? Or affirm that? What does it look like for you to abide in and remain in Christ? And remember some of these key points. It's going to look like regular ongoing conversations with him, not just obedience, but joyful obedience and love for others. Andrew Murray says this, most of us are preoccupied with our performance as Christians rather than being occupied with the person of Christ. 
Guys, when we get hung up on our fruit bearing and our obedience, we're missing Christ. We are more interested in the results we achieve than simply resting in him, abiding in him. We want to appropriate his power, but we fail to appreciate his person. Abiding stresses the source of our life and strength, but we frequently ignore the person of Christ to seek the product of our union with him. Friends, Jesus calls us to abide in him, and he tells us this so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be made complete. And when that's true, fruit is both possible and it's inevitable. Father, what a profound idea that you are always with us. Would you help us to live as if? Thank you that you have not left as orphans, that you have come to us. Help us to make our relationship with you so deep that we experience similar joy as Jesus has with you. And that as a result, Lord, we will produce much fruit, fruit that we can't produce on our own, that we produce much fruit to the glory of God our Father. Amen.